it's possible for anybody to embody these like behaviors to think about this way of being it's you're not closed off like you're not this i will forever be this way like everyone has the potential to grow and develop Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. Each week, I chat with artists who use print-based media to do something beyond the expected. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gilzambrano. Together, we speak to printmakers around the globe about their practice and passions in the world of printmaking. Hello, print friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your creative practice since 1997. But we all know that those products do not use themselves, which is why Speedball works with a fantastic lineup of contemporary printmakers who make up the Speedball team of demo artists. Artists like Melanie Yazi, who is a Diné artist from northeastern Arizona. She's a professor of practices and the head of printmaking at the University of Colorado Boulder in Colorado. She makes prints, paintings, and sculpture. Since 2015, she began designing her own jewelry pieces and working on fabric surface design. Yazi has exhibited nationally and internationally for the past 25 years and continues to push the boundaries with her work with each project she takes on. So, if you want to learn a few tricks of the trade and expand and improve your practice from great artists like Yazi, head on over to Speedball's YouTube channel to see how it's done. There's a link in the show notes. This episode of Hello Print Friend is also brought to you by McLean's Printmaking Supplies, who've been dedicated to the art and artists of relief printmaking since 1979. The small specialist team in the Pacific Northwest is the leading supplier of Japanese relief tools for printmakers in the U.S. and abroad, whose primary purpose is to help you find the materials and support you need to reach your printmaking goals. Our editor, Timothy Pauschak's two favorite tools are his Potatsuwaro Sankakuto 3mm V-gouge and his Josoi Maruto 1mm U-gouge, both from McLean's. But you don't have to take our word for it. These tools speak for themselves. So head on over to McLean's at imclean's.com and find your new favorite tool and keep on carving. My guest this week is Ruben Castillo. We talk about the power of having important mentors as a young artist, how he captures the intimate spaces between partners in his printmaking practice, the intense bonds and queer relationships, making work about his own relationship and navigating it with his partner, and the fascinating class he teaches called the Queer Print Archive. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare for some pillow talk with Ruben Castillo. Hi, Ruben. How's it going? Hi, Miranda. It's going great. Good, good. Thank thanks you. for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I'm really yeah. looking forward to our chat and learning more about you and your practice and just how everything's been going. That's always like a part of these conversations these days. Is the like, how especially you... in the pandemic. Yes, exactly. Is the like, how you doing <laughs> aspect of yeah. it. But before we dive into that, would you please let all of our dear listeners know who you are, where you are, and what you do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my name, as I said before, my name is Ruben Castillo. I'm a visual artist. Uh, I live in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I've been here since, I was born in Dallas, Texas, but I've been here since 2008. Um, so, like, four, 14 years now, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. I really love it here. It's great. Um, and I'm a, I'm a visual artist, as I said, and also an educator, I'm currently a visiting assistant professor at the Kansas City Art Institute, which is where I got my BFA from. So I teach in the printmaking department there. Um, and I teach like a variety of things, like from the etching major studio courses to the like their 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 seminar courses. Um, and I developed a really great fun course. I got the opportunity to come up with my own um, like special topics class that I've taught every year now for three years it's called the printed queer archive um and it's like what? my little my that little baby and it's, so cool. <laughs> it's so wonderful i mean it was one of the like first um like really studio intensive courses at kcai to like 100 percent be dedicated to like queer theory queer practice um and like yeah just like making around that i mean like the first time i taught it it was like 
maybe we won't talk about archives. Maybe we'll just talk about like what it means to be queer in the Midwest right now. You know, it's just like, it's whatever the students really want it to be. And it's one of my favorite classes to teach. I always look forward to teaching it. Um, and it's been and, like creatively for me as well. It's been like such a rejuvenating thing to go back to, mm. you know, year after year. So yeah, that's, that's, that's me. I do prints, sculpture, video, drawing, drawing and printmaking are like my two babies. I love yeah. them. So I, love. I, I definitely want to um, like kind of rewind a little bit and get some of like your, you know, the early childhood stuff, but I'm so intrigued by this class. So I don't know if you mind yeah. like, spending a little bit more time on it. So you call it the, the printed queer archive. Is that specifically referring to print as in printmaking or just like physical printed objects? How does that actually relate? And it says, it sounds like the class can be different things depending on the interests of the students, but yeah, tell me a bit more about that name. Yeah, so um, a lot of my research in graduate school um, was really kind of diving into queer theory for the first time really deeply. And um, I also kind of learned about this, you know, this concept of like, you know, in, in quotes, like in all caps, like the archive, yeah, right? Like yeah. this idea of like the history, the record. Um, but a lot of queer theory really, you know, like the archive is quite, you know, especially when you're thinking about marginalized communities, the archive is um, kind of broken. It's not necessarily there. It's not super mm-hmm. present or readily available. And so a lot of queer theorists talk about this idea, like Anne Svetovic talks about this concept of like the archive of feeling, essentially, Mm -hmm. like this idea of oral history and memories, music, and just like emotion. And that was something that was super influential to me. So I wanted to create this class that was um, focused on the idea of the queer archive, but, you know, it had to be taught in a printmaking curriculum. Um, And I knew like pretty pretty immediately, like at KCAI, like it's kind of like, it's a little siloed, like you go through foundation and then you declare like, I'm going to be a print major. And then like you take all your classes on printmaking and then like you can take some like electives. And I wanted this to be an elective that was for not just the printmaking majors, but for the sculpture majors, illustration, textile, ceramics, painters. Like I wanted it to be for everybody. Um, And I didn't want it to be, feel like this like hyper emphasis on print making, but I wanted it to be this idea of like printed ephemera um, because we would be actually dealing with archives and ephemera. And we have this incredible local archive um, in Kansas city. It's called the Gay and Lesbian Archive of Mid-America, or GLAMA for short. And it's run by this incredible um, historian, Stuart Hines. And so actually every year that I've taught the class, um, we collaborate with Stuart. Um, he's really incredible. I have him come do like a, a history lecture at the beginning of class because not a lot of people know, um, A, like the his- like gay rights history and like gay rights activism, yeah. but also B, that a lot of it took place in Kansas City because it was like middle of america so like you had the east coast activist groups and the west coast activist groups would all sort of fly to kansas city and they actually held a a conference here um in you know at the early stages of gay rights um activist uh movement work so Mm. students hear that and they're it's like it like suddenly the door also like just opens wide open plus like stewart comes to us with like his own testimonies of uh, of like living through the AIDS pandemic and what that was like the real feelings behind that, yeah. which you can't get from like reading about it. Like it's, it's one thing to read about it, but then to hear about it is, mm-hmm. is pretty wild. So yeah, it's, it's really great. And so this idea for me, print to be the most accessible thing, it had to be kind of the most expansive, right? Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend like two weeks, <laughs> which like, there's no way you could even do that, but like two weeks going over like, this is how you make an etching or like, this is how you make a, like a lithograph. Like, no, like let's make some like monoprints. Let's do transfers. Let's talk about printed ephemera. Let's talk about photography. Let's talk about zines and bookmaking, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and screen printing. Like, let's talk about these really like quick and dirty methods um, that can just like amplify your work or like add another layer to it because, you know, printmaking, like, 
and this is my me getting on my soapbox here, but like <laughs> filmmaking is the center of all arts, and like yes. like you can fight me on it. Like it's <laughs> literally like the thing that changed painting, it changed ceramics, it uh-huh. changed sculpture, it changed textiles. I mean, all of that. Um, you know, all of that that's been you know recorded. You know, by you know talks like from Susan Tallman on like mm-hmm. the expanded field and whatnot, right? Yeah. So yeah, that that's and that's why I chose print because I wanted it to be this really expansive. Um, vocabulary That's and I and I put print the the printed part is in parentheses as well okay um, because I like it to be this like you know I, lo- I love language and I love like what it means to put something in parentheses you know to kind of like this little hidden extra thing you know that you whisper you know so yeah, that's so you just are, are blowing my doors of perception wide open right now. <laughs> and thinking about how like of course like so much of that the archive as you say capital T capital A around queer culture would be in printed ephemera. You know, everything from uh f- you know flyers to dance parties or drag shows to personal ads, you know, this um to like like dirty comic books, you know, that were created yeah, quickly because yeah. they couldn't find a a publisher who would take it on because it's because queer culture isn't in the canon it wouldn't be in the history books it would just be these these um ways that people were connecting with one another through any method that they had and of course it's printmaking because printmaking as i agree it's at the heart of everything (laughs) and Yeah. And it just, yeah, it reminds me of the the gallery that I work for in Santa Fe now shows a lot of work from Rex Ray. I don't know if you know him. He's a, a, was a designer in San Francisco and he ended up being like really influential. He does these incredible cut paper collages. Um, but he also made, uh, queer posters and and that was also like a part of like his his building this particular aesthetic that was really influential was also for like queer dance parties and that kind of thing and so i'm just thinking about how in this one case at least you know it it has the um uh this crossover a bit like with the like capital f capital a fine art world as well you know people Mm -hmm. who are who are queer and who are interested in visual culture are of course producing that ephemera and and before the internet right like this is what we had to do mm-hmm. like printmaking is i have i have like this weird you know thing about like printmaking is the internet and the internet is printmaking kind of you know in yeah terms totally 100 percent. yeah awesome <laughs> I'm, I'm with you <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. um and so before that yeah he he was doing that so that's that sounds like a, a really really cool class so i'm um, so glad that, that that exists in the world um okay so then we can we can now we can begin at the beginning but i couldn't let that <laughs> that intrigue just slip away um yeah. can you tell me where you grew up and what role art played in that part of your life yeah so i uh, I, I grew up i was born and raised in dallas texas mm-hmm. um and i went to just like a normal kind of public school um, and I was like outside of Dallas, Texas, like, you know, you say you're from Dallas, Texas. And then like the joke is like, oh, where in Dallas are you from? I was actually like, it was Carrollton Farmers Branch. So it's like a little city like off of Dallas. Um, and it was just like a normal public school, um, but like the public schooling that I went through. And it was just art was this thing that I liked. I as a kid, I was always supplied with a sketchbook and pencils because like my parents knew that's what I wanted. And like, I was a really like introverted child. Like I was like, I'm not really into sports. Like both mm-hmm. my siblings that I had growing up were, um, they were very extroverted. They did like all the extracurricular activity and sports and all that stuff. And I was like, I remember like as a kid, like my parents were like, do you want to? And I just like, <laughs> they like put me in a base, like a little like t-ball game when I was like a kid. And I just like walked off the field and I was like, no. <laughs> I was like defiant, like, no, I'm not doing this. Um, But I loved drawing and like, I loved like all the different types of media I would consume. Like I loved watching movies and like TV shows and playing video games. And like, I would often like become less interested in the thing that I was seeing. And suddenly like, I would just like hit pause um, on these like moving images and try to like draw them really Mm. quickly um, because I was just like, I I don't know what it was. I was like, I just, I need to retranslate this somehow for myself and like, and record it um, for me and like make it my own and like, feel like I had something 
so that's what I, I did a lot of that. And I just, I took a bunch of art classes. I was like, I was such a like terrible student. I, oh, really? <laughs> like, yeah, like I was not a good student. Um, I mean, like I was okay. Like I was middle of the road. Like I was just like, what's the bare minimum I can uh-huh. do to get through this? Like I was very shifty and sneaky in that way <laughs> and like terrible at doing my homework and all that stuff. But when it came to my art classes, I was like, I will do this all day long. Like, let's go for it. And, um, and by the time I got to high school, I was like, um, my, my, both my siblings had taken this like amazing art teacher that like, they, they were like, he's so funny. You're going to love him. And like, his class is so much fun. Like he's made me love art and like, he's going to really help you out a lot. And it was, um, it was, it was Mr. Kincaid's art class, Ted Kincaid. Um, and I, I, I went to this just again, like a pretty basic, like, public school system and um but what i didn't quite realize at the time is that the two art teachers that were there michael toll and ted kincaid were actually these like two pretty significant artists in the north texas area Mm. michael toll is this like hyper realist um oil painter and um ted kincaid was this like very prolific photographer printmaker um, and I actually like remember like in his class, I mean, like even in my art classes, I was like, well, da, 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 I'm here, you know, just doing my thing, like having fun. And I remember I got into his class and he was like, um, all right, I want you to draw this still life. And I was like, da, 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 I'm going to do it. And then I like turned in my sketchbook and he looked at it and he just like returned it back to me. And he said, no, like mm. this, like he like literally challenged me in that moment. And he said, like, do it again. Like, this isn't right. And it was in that moment that I was like, um, like I felt, I finally felt like really challenged by something, you know, I had like teachers who were like, oh, you're probably just like really bored and you need to take like an advanced placement class. And I was like, no, it's not that. I just really don't want to do this. But like, whatever. <laughs> I, I did want that. And yeah. that was a, a revelatory moment. And actually like in his class, um, he, we like, it was so weird too, because like our art program was so small and like um, inconspicuous in many ways and we we had a printing press there and he he actually had done a lot of prints um at mannequin press in illinois run by jonathan higgins um, and his wife sarah smelzer and um so he he was like let's we're gonna do a dry point on plexi um assignment and we're gonna create intaglio prints i mean he did the printing for us but like the fact that i was no longer i was like drawing but not Mm-hmm. and I was like tracing something which was like similar to like my like how I grew up and like my, my my whole like way of thinking about where I get my images from and how I like reproduce them um but in this totally other way and then like seeing the print of that get made it just like blew my mind mm. um and yeah, like I didn't really know what I was going to do in high school. And um, a recruiter, like an admissions counselor from the Kansas City Art Institute um, came into our AP art class and was like, you can go to college at KCI, an art school. And this is what, and I was like, that looks like utopia. That's what I want to do. <laughs> and I was yes, just like, I'm sure. Yeah. Just like, man. With it, you know, I was like, because I, you know, I was just, I don't know, I didn't know what I was going to do, like, you know, so I saw that and I was like, a way out, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, never looked back. <laughs> wow. All right. I'm, I'm still sort of surprised to learn when you said that, like, you weren't like a very dedicated student because it's just hearing you talk about what you're doing now. I mean, you sound so at home <laughs> in academia, you're designing courses, you're dropping Susan Tallman, yeah. you know, you're like, you're, you're in the, the ivory tower, it sounds like. But I, yeah, yeah. I mean, did that kind of transition, you know, happen in, you know, your uh, undergrad, you know, when you kind of were like, oh, like, I can make this interesting for myself in a way that like high school just never can be? Yeah. Um, like, I carried on a lot of my just sort of like, um, just my like attitude of like wanting to just do, you know, whatever Um, into my first two years of college. So like I went through the foundation program, like, you know, had like, you know, pretty decent grades was like honorable mention. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I didn't have like a horrible GPA, like it was like a 2.9 or something, but like, you know, and I was, uh, it was kind of just like had these like, you know, just like, oh, I'm just here. This is like summer camp. It's fun. It's great. 
Um, and then I remember I transferred into the printmaking program because I had done print in my high school portfolio. And then, you know, I was like, oh, I really enjoyed that a lot. And I remember my portfolio primarily was like drawing focused. And so like, and I looked at other programs and I was like, all the painters were doing like weird sculpture installation things. And, you know, there wasn't an illustration department printmaking. I was like, this looks really cool. This is what I want to do. Um, and so I declared that as my major. And that was the department that I went into. And I was like, just learning all the techniques and really figuring it out and like really enjoying it and having a blast. But like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I actually like went back um, to Texas one summer to actually go back and intern for my high school art teacher, Ted mm. Cade. And we actually, like, he he was teaching me, like, photo this photopolymer gravure process um, to make some new intaglio prints that he had been doing. And I remember, actually, like, in my intro year of printmaking, I couldn't produce an etching to, like, save my life. Like, all I could effectively <laughs> I do was, like, monotype. Like, I mean, it was, like... It was terrible. Like I didn't understand like how to get an intaglio print made or anything like that. And I did this internship with him and he like showed me like this really efficient way to do it. And it just all clicked. And while I was there, like he, I was also like his studio assistant basically. And his gallery was located or his, his, his studio was located in his gallery. So his gallerist would always be bringing people in and he would always be like, okay, we got to get the studio cleaned up. Like, mm. We got to get, you know, things, you know, ready for clients to come in and look at work. He taught me how to archivally frame artwork. Amazing. And I literally saw him like create a new body of work from start to finish to like even see the bad work get made. Mm. And like he put it on the wall and he was like, what do you think of this? Like it was like we were in a mini critique session. And it, it was I, to me in that moment, like that was when it all clicked for me. I was like, oh, this isn't just like something fun to do. This is something incredibly uh -huh. serious that like I can make my entire like career out of. And so when I... After that, you know, summer of really intent, like every single day, like going to the, his studio and helping him, I went back and my my third and final year, um, I, I just, I came back with a whole new perspective and took everything just like so much more seriously. Um, and yeah, it, be, it became like definitely like a huge, huge passion. Like that's when like I was on like Dean's List and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And I, I yeah, that's when it clicked for me. That sounds like such an incredible experience and one that if was it all possible, give every young budding art student, because I feel like that's the behind the curtain that's so hard to access unless you get really lucky or you get kind of spotted by someone who sees something that they yeah. want to nurture in you. Um, yeah. You know, as you said, like seeing a professional artist making bad work, making pieces that fail and yeah. the fact that he's in a position in his career where he's having galleries bring people by the studio and he's selling things and he's still making work that's not successful. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's got to mm -hmm. be an amazing <laughs> thing to learn in that young, you know, blossoming little artist life that yeah. it's, it's a continual process you never arriving it's always about doing something and doing it better and trying something and having it not work and 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 that there's at no point is it truly are you successful artist trademark you know it's right. like it's right. always evolving wow yeah yeah it's hard to tell my students that too because like so much of it you know it, it you're right it is like luck it is knowing mm -hmm. the exact you know knowing being in the right place at the right time and knowing the right person and it's, you know, that's not, it's not something super tangible that you can just like yeah. give to a student and be like, here you go, here's success. It's like really just like, no, this is really hard. Like I remember Carrie James Marshall was a commencement speaker for like the 2010 graduating class. And I, I had a bunch of friends in it. And so I went and saw it. And I remember like leaving his talk, like feeling really just like upset about it because like he was like, like very few of you in this room are going to succeed. Like mm -hmm. it's going to take a lot of work and a majority of you are not going to hit this level of success that I have. And I remember being like, how dare you say that, you yeah. know, to a bunch of people who were like graduating. But at the same time, I actually really like understood what he, especially as I got even older, like I was like, yeah, this is a lot of work. And mm -hmm. like some days I'm just like, nope, not today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is that it's, Oh, I mean, it's it's like yeah, it's true so and rude to say. You know? <laughs> I know. Yeah, a little bit. Sorry, sorry, Carrie. You're amazing. He's but... <laughs> amazing, but yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's not what we're 
we're used to hearing, I should say. Maybe rude's not the right word. Maybe yeah. it's it's that, you know, particularly in the US as yeah. as generation Xers and uh uh what's the what is the what's the generation now of the young people? What are they called? Z? Z, yeah, Gen generation Z. Gen Z and the digital natives. Yeah. Like, you know, we're used to growing up with that. Uh yeah. Oh, you're you're magic person. You're you're the special one. All of you are the special one. And as you, you know, it's true though. I mean, there are very few Carrie James Marshalls in the world compared mm-hmm. to the amount of students graduating with BFAs. Um yeah. and so it's it, it it reminds me a, a little bit too though of of one of my early interviews was with the wonderful Ben Buenos and he said mm-hmm. something about his work ethic and he said you know I mean he said like thank goodness it's not all based on talent because if it was just based on talent like you couldn't none of us would be where we are like it has to also be yeah. based on hard work and and networking and and seeing opportunities and and asking for opportunities and you know and just being a good person that someone wants to be around and so they're like oh you know I'd love to have Ruben in my show because he's really fun to hang out with you know like having those right. sort of non raw talent elements of creative practices that actually do contribute to success like we should really all be grateful for it because certainly I am right <laughs> Well, and that's like, I mean, that's also the thing that I really learned from, you know, Ted, um, you know, in being his, like, we're, we're really good friends now. And, you know, like, I, I house sat his dogs, like for him and his mm-hmm. partner and, and their beautiful home of like prints that they have. And that's the, I mean, that's just the other thing that I really learned from him is that like, as a, as an educator, like he wasn't one of those like super tough Gen Xers, like he was actually like incredibly generous mm. um and funny and kind and charismatic um one of the, absolutely one of the funniest people that i know and like yeah like that, that's that's something that i really sort of internalized and took with me and it's it, i think it, i think it really kind of helped i remember there was an opening that he i was att- attending that he was at and you know he was doing you know the the opening circuit where you're talking mm-hmm. to everybody and I, I remember like stopping to say hello to him and he was like here i want you to go talk to this person and he's like literally like grabbed me and took me he was like this is the head of the gallery talk with her and then like walked away (laughs) yeah no pressure no pressure but like you know at the same time like generously being like i'm going to introduce you to somebody and like Mm -hmm. you know and 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 make room for this make space for this like give you that opportunity so that's that's that, that point of generosity is something i've always thought a lot about yeah yeah and then you know and what you're saying that it's just it's it's work and it's it's a lot of work Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know i think how you say like some days you're just like no i think everyone in the art world (laughs) has those (laughs) no days (laughs) yeah yeah. and and when you're when you're in the gallerist side of the art world it's uh it's i'm gonna go be a real estate salesperson that's it like and yeah. i think like you know when you're an artist it's you know i'm gonna go be elect an electrician you know i mean like you know, but then you know we're, we're all still here in the end because yeah. the there's the life of being in the arts as hard as it is the opportunities that it affords us and the people that we meet like i could never mm-hmm. give that up you know like it's just right. you know i'm i'm 37 years old and i don't have any savings but you know, <laughs> but you know, I'm gonna be gonna be forty in a couple of years, and I don't expect to have any savings then either. But it's still like I was, I, was, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't live any other way. Yeah, I was just having this conversation actually with some friends, and this this whole maybe like age, super like ageist um, uh, dismissal that like we experienced um, in our twenties, right? You know, we're twenty two years old, and we're 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 saying something to somebody who's older, and they're like oh, you're just really naive, like, wait until you're older, and you'll see. And then we're a 10 year fast forward, and I'm 32. And I say the exact same thing that I passionately believed in when I was 22. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, yeah, that's a great idea, actually. Like, you're totally right. And I'm like, I didn't change, though. Like, this is, I, I still feel like at my core, you know, like a 20 year old, like, I'm still trying to figure this life out. Like, yeah. I'm just like, I don't know if I'm getting it right, you know, yeah. like, but like, it's, you know, it's, someone else sees me and they're like you're doing great and I'm like I am <laughs> yeah look at you professor yeah you know yeah. like <laughs> it's, I t- it's that weird imposter syndrome that that comes through in many ways yeah I often wonder if for our generation if that sense of sort of 
alienation from whatever our vision of adult selfhood is exacerbated because of the huge economic changes that have happened between our parents and us. You know, like my Mm -hmm. father-in-law bought his, I don't, gosh, I don't even know, like three bedroom, four bedroom house, like walking distance from a lake in Western New York while working at a factory, you know, and like, you know, and it, you're just like, you just, Sounds nice. yeah, right. And it's like, it's, of course, it's, it's totally paid off like years ago, you know, and, and you just think about that and, and how, you know, owning even a condo on the outskirts of town seems like economically impossible. And, and, and so, you know, that, that, vision that we had and and i'm sure and like and his father was able to do it and there you know his father was able to do it, you know that kind of thing and then all of a sudden it's like you know like that um that that uh that the fact that you know in you know in the u.s like almost one of the few ways to actual financial stability is through property owning that like that came to kind of a halt like with us for many many different reasons and so i think everyone has that alienation a bit you know i i the um i remember the wonderful jenny robinson who's an incredible mm-hmm. printmaker she invited me to her 60th birthday party and she said i feel like i'm 28 you know like i can't believe it you know i can't believe that i'm I turning totally 60 hear her that. yeah because she's like because yeah. she if anyone who's better she is 28 like <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, she, she was is. she was one of the first visiting artists that we had at kci when i got hired there and it was like such a blast to work oh, yeah. with her yeah she's so funny and, and so smart absolute treasure yeah and so so you know she's having that but it's like you know like i'm really having that you know <laughs> so yeah well, and I, I think too like you know with our especially now we've seen the rise of like you know this like diy aesthetic mm-hmm. zines coming back um into it and, and i really and this is i mean something maybe this can like this is like a segue or something but like um, that DIY aesthetic of like trying to like figure something out, like that was something that really captivated me in a lot of even like queer theory, because mm. like there's this idea of like, like this question of like, how do I just simply be like, how do I exist? Right. Because especially like queer folks, like we don't really, we don't really feel that like we're like, we don't understand like where we are in society. Like there's a clear kind of, you know, set of like things you can do like when you're, uh, you know, straight, you know, white couple or whatever you know like you've got like a pretty you've got a pretty prescribed path and you have you have visions of that path that have been laid out in front of you for generations like this is what a straight white couple does and looks like and walks like and talks like yeah yeah and that's the fascination you know with like the 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 idea of like the queer archive like that history and like finding all of these like kind of wonderful things that have always been there um they weren't just like they weren't like just sort of totally lost and gone like they were actually there we just like weren't like how are we mm-hmm. cultivating that mm-hmm. how are we actually like you know diving deep into those into those histories and and figuring that stuff out and i also i mean i think too like the do-it-yourself mentality of like okay this no longer this thing no longer works for me let's find another way to do this which is uh, totally the reason i love printmaking is because like <laughs> you totally like diy like let's figure let's I don't know I don't know what's wrong with your print but let's figure it out you know and yeah we'll have a go at it and I think it's it's something to me that's been endlessly fascinating like I remember as a kid too like loving those like books and like dvd instructional like mm. uh, videos of like this is how you draw a bird uh-huh. <laughs> and like do this this step and then this step and then this step like a recipe and like it's it was just so fascinating to me and I and I kind of love that I kind of love that instructional type of mentality right but it's like what else like what else are we going to do we got to figure this out like we have to figure out what are the instructions what are the methods what are the yeah. things we're going to do to get ourselves out of this mm-hmm. um yeah Totally, totally. I I want to make sure that we've got time to talk about your practice specifically because I think there's, yeah. I've got a lot of questions and I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about it. And so a lot of what you do is an exploration, an examination, and an expression of intimacy. Um, mm-hmm. And you do this in a number of ways, you know, sort of through uh, like really intimate domestic scenes or pillows. You've done a wonderful uh, series of just drawings of 
of crumpled pillows, you know, like it th- looks like someone's been sleeping on it, which of course, as the printmaker nerd in me has to be like, also like flashes of Albrecht Dürer, which is amazing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and so what kind of drew you to this work, to these sort of ex- explorations initially? Yeah. So, you know, going back to that time where, you know, I, I returned to KCI, it's really sort of more serious mentality. Um, I, I wanted to actually focus my work. Um, I, I felt like when I was like learning all the processes, I just took like a more like abstract painterly approach to things of like, you know, geometric abstraction and, and all this stuff, because I was just trying to learn simple design elements. And plus that was kind of like the, you know, the, the, the method that the, those foundation professors at the time had. Um, and so when I returned after working with Ted, who's such a like a romantic artist, mm. uh, like definitely in, in the purest sense, and 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 loves sort of that that realist representational classical style. Um, a lot of that um, really kind of rubbed off on me, and I wanted to return to some um, uh, figurative work because I loved drawing the figure um, and depicting it. And I, I took in a class with Laura Berman, um, and it she she gave us complete and total freedom to do whatever we want. And I wanted to create this figurative, this figurative um, workout and make etchings of the of, of bodies of people. And I, um, we had a project where we had to do something incorporating, like the whole class was about additions and multiples and like figuring out how to kind of like alter that. And I bought these like four copper, like six by eight copper plates and they were all the same size. And I was like, what, what would happen if I put like a figure on each one of them and then layered them together? And I was totally amazed when I pulled the print off the press. And I saw that the way these two figures are sort of transparently sort of intertwined with one another. Mm. And I love this idea of like building a relationship, right? And talk about, you know, DIY, like, how do we, how do I build a relationship? Mm. How do I, you know, it's like dating somebody and like flailing about in my relationship, <laughs> trying to figure this all out. And like, I don't know how this works. Um, and uh, yeah, so this like, this way of like addressing this kind of question of like how to be, how does this, how does, what does intimacy even like look like? This was a method, you know, through printmaking that I was able to kind of figure this out. Um, so I started creating a lot of this like figurative work of like transparently transposing bodies over one another and it became the print for me became this like site, this location, this space where intimacy could happen um, in a this sort of like fantasy um, realm. And afterwards, um, I, I I kept working with like the body and figures in one way, but I was like, okay, I want to I want to find a way to kind of add to it. And I had just moved in actually with my with my current partner. Now um, we shared a two bedroom apartment, and I was like, well, you know, I was thinking a lot about the space of like the paper and the print as its own space. Like, what about the actual space that we share? Um, and so I, I started taking a real deep dive into 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 what our own space kind of looked like. And then I got to graduate school, and I I kind of set a challenge for myself in the first year and like how can I create the suggestion of the body without actually showing the body Mm -hmm. um where can I create the stand-in for the body in that sense and so I started recording um we moved into a new apartment um when I went to the University of Kansas for my MFA and um we got a new apartment in Lawrence and started furnishing it with things and you know we we also again like thinking about that DIY aesthetic like how do we even be successful as like home makers right like what's the homemaking method it led me to look at a lot of like things that were like what was affordable you know so like looking at ikea was a big thing for me mm, this okay. idea of like dreaming about like what your space is yeah, going to look you like you have a series called things i want from ikea yeah which is just <laughs> brilliant yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it was it was i mean it started as this they started as these sort of exercises of just like i have to make something i need to just be like making i need to be doing something i need to just be flexing this like artistic muscle and so like let me just like find all of these things and as i sat with them like i realized there were all of these like thoughts and desires embedded in with them um and so yeah as i, as I kind of kept working and thinking about it um part one kind of practice of like thing that i was doing daily um was i started documenting our space regularly mm-hmm. and one of the things that i did um since 
you know, we had moved in together in 2013 was document our bed every single morning after we woke up. Um, and I, I became really fascinated by it um, because I wasn't going to like correct it or fix anything or, you know, it was just like, let's, let's just document it and see what happens. And so mm-hmm. I started developing this like archive of photos that um, I didn't really quite know what to do with. And so in graduate school, I started turning them into prints, uh, into etchings um, and, and really thinking about like the linea- the the history of that particular type of image. Right. We mm-hmm. think about um, Felix Gonzalez Torres's like iconic billboards of like the two pillows that are sort of sunken in Um which was like a metaphor for the AIDS crisis and loss, mm-hmm. right? And I was thinking about this idea of presence of here is like the most evident space of the body. If anything, this is probably the most like intimate space that could exist in our home because it's the place where these two bodies coexist together for the longest amount of time. Yeah, And I love this idea of like history that was then recorded um by our own bodies like how like you know we sort of moved around uh on the on the bed and like the sheets getting disheveled and the pillows getting disheveled and like it became this sort of record of existence for me um and so that became a really um super uh, inspirational moment you know in my work yeah yeah and that's so interesting too because i think it makes me thinking about like the dichotomy between the general and the specific as well you know in the sense that sharing a sleeping space regularly with another person is such a human thing many many yeah. people do it many many people don't do it but it's also it's also kind of this um this like gold standard of intimacy uh yeah. i think is is sleeping next to someone because of course you're so vulnerable when you're asleep you know you're and and that you do that over and over again you know with a person it really creates this world and this little rituals of of what side of the bed you sleep on what's your sleeping positions do you go to sleep mm-hmm. cuddling and wake up apart do you wake <laughs> up apart or do you go, go to sleep apart and wake up cuddling you know all these different things mm-hmm. are there two dogs who are constantly in the way and <laughs> wake up wake up barking in the middle of the night when they hear coyotes for example you know like, yeah. <laughs> um, very, very just specific you know just to pull, pull an example out of you know just randomness um yeah. you know just the that uh that really that world that grows up between two people in an intimate particularly like an intimate long-term relationship um is is a really fascinating place and and it it reminds me a bit of 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 these ideas i i think it's a phrase it's like you know no one can know someone else's marriage and obviously not all long-term intimate relationships or marriages but just that that sense of that it really is a a world created by two people and exists between the two people and and like with like my husband and i like tim and i have like inside jokes that like no one else knows about and like it's just they're (laughs) so um they're so about us and between us and and it wouldn't even make sense or they'd, you know, have us institutionalized if they you know, learned about it. Because <laughs> it's just because you can't, you know, you get... So anyway, I, I just, I, I really think that's so interesting as a way to document this very human and very difficult to kind of pin down experience of the... Um, the falea du that can happen between two people, the you know the madness yeah. of two that often can take place, you know, within the intimacy of of a, of a shared sleeping space. Yeah, totally, oh. totally. Yeah, I mean, like it was. Oh my gosh, it was on my thesis committee in graduate school. Like I had a sculptor, installation artist. Um, who was there and he he made this wonderful comment you know print is is about suspension mm. and i just like and he just sort of like dropped that and then just like walked out the <laughs> in a very like old man type way uh-huh. and then i was like damn what <laughs> and yeah he, he said that and i i started looking at my work and thinking about like especially those images and thinking about what are the ways to like suspend this imagery right and this is almost it, the way that i approached the the especially like the series art pillows um was to think about them in this like suspended dreamy state um, of of this other world, right? And it was funny, like you know, like you said, you know, this, the work is incredibly specific to me, especially 
because it is so autobiographical in many ways. But I'm really thinking a lot about the ways that other people can enter into into that space as well. You know, obviously you are taking the position of a voyeur, right? When you're looking at the work, you're you're trying to investigate mm-hmm. um, and and uncover meaning behind a work, you know, any work really, but this work especially, but also then like once you, you sort of get sucked into it, there's this moment where you insert, you almost insert yourself into it. Like when people looked at that, at that work in that exhibition, the comments I would just get were so emotional Mm. from so many different people of just like this, you know, it just made me feel a very particular way. Like, and they weren't, they weren't very specific. They were very general about it, but like just knowing that, you know, it had impacted them was incredibly meaningful for me, at least, you know, especially for people who were not, you know, you know, any queer individual or maybe like they were queer adjacent or something, but like, you know, it was, it was meaningful to have that opportunity that openness, that open door for, for a viewer. Yeah. Yeah. Just talking to you now, I wonder, if you've thought about your work in this context, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that you probably have, <laughs> because you, it's your work, but just maybe just sort of speak to a little bit, you know, the way it, it kind of fits in to, for lack of a better phrase, like the history of queerness or the history of queer acceptance, mm-hmm. you know, in the sense of it's, it's a really powerful statement and celebration of queer relationships that can exist in the safety of domestic spaces, because mm-hmm. for most of recorded Western history that I know of, like queer intimacy had to be in stolen moments and in secrecy. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't share a bed with the love of your life because it was literally you could be killed for it. And yeah. and now like you're making I'm sorry, I'm getting really emotional talking about this. <laughs> Ooh, Ruben. Yeah. yeah, but like like you're making work that's like about like the safety that like you can have now, you know, like it's, it's incredible that, and it's, it's like, seems like kind of a beautiful celebration of that. Not that it's, not that that safety is universal and is very, very far from universal, but it still is, you know, a lot better than it was a hundred years ago. I never, I've never forgotten this like bit of feedback that I got one time about my work because I, I, I totally agree. Like to me, the work has always been a celebration of like my relationship um, or even like relationships, like plural, like in general, like that I have yeah. with people and intimacy, like it's always been that. And I remember one time somebody was looking at my work and they responded and they were just like, God, this is really sad. This is like, you're mourning, like you, you, you're mourning the loss of somebody, like oh. you're obsessively like recording all these things. And I remember like, wow, I was like, what? Like, and then <laughs> what's I, going like, on I with like, you? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what's like, what's going on here? And then like, I was kind of frustrated about it because it was like a grad school critique. And I went and talked to um, my, like one of the faculty I was working with at the time, Tanya Hartman. And, you know, I was like, this, this comment got made. And I just like, I don't know, like, is my work really sad now or something? Like, yeah. I don't know, like, is it that? And she, she actually said this thing that's always stuck with me, um, which was that, you know, the second you fall in love, you, you cannot escape the inevitable sadness mm-hmm. and loss that is going to come about from this, because yeah. like, it is going to end in some way, like whether that is in death, or you'll break up mm-hmm. or something. And I, I've never forgotten that kind of, that all of those emotions sort of live within the in the work and in the imagery and in the ideas as well. Everything yeah. sort of coexists together. You know, happiness and sadness all sort of are part of the same coin. And it's this very like holistic approach that to me is so fascinating. Mm, yeah, yeah. And it, it does it does make a kind of sense because I mean, of course, that, um, you know, when you're used to sharing a bed with someone and that changes, you know, mm. the coldness of an empty bed, you know, yeah. it's very palpable. And it, it actually, it's funny she should say that because it, it, it reminds me, your work actually reminded me of, um, so my grandfather one of my grandfathers you know was you know that world war ii guy right you know like in in the navy uh you know you'd ask him about the war and he'd just be like it was boring you know you don't want to hear about it you know like he's a math teacher and a pe teacher and you know he was wonderful grandpa like he gave me cookies and taught me how to play cribbage he was awesome but like you know not like many men of that generation you know not the most like emotive right um or sentimental 
And when his wife, my grandmother, passed away, I remember、um, overhearing one of my aunts say that he had told her that that night he came home from the hospital and he just held her pillow and he cried,、mm. and how like that was just like, and how. My my aunt was in the the field of of mental health, and she was like, she's like, I was really happy to hear that, you know, to hear that he was、um, mourning in that way. But just like I, you know, the、yeah. empty pillows, I think it does. It reminded me of that story, and just that that image of this, you know, st- strong grandpa guy, you know,、mm-hmm. mourning in that way. And and maybe as a as a young person, I think I was maybe thirteen or fourteen when she passed. You know, kind of getting that first glimpse into what your mentor said to you. You know about loss and love, and、mm-hmm. and like, oh wow, like that—that's a thing that's gonna happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and all around pillows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, right? It's so boring and simple, but yeah, there it is. Yeah. Do Do you find that? I guess I, let me let me speak from the eye. I find that making work about intimacy is really vulnerable and and takes a fair amount of bravery.、Um, and I don't know. Do you think of your work as brave? Do you find moments when you're like, "All right, I'm making this work, and I need to be brave about it." Do, does that concept kind of come into your practice at all? No, I don't really think about it、mm. to be honest,、um, because I just it's such a I don't know. I mean, in many ways, I'm very guarded、um, as a、mm. person as well. Like I, I, I do. Like I love my sort of privacy in many ways, and I, I'm vulnerable in some senses where I'm open to talk about a few things. Like I often tell people, I'm an open book. Ask me any question, I'll、mm. answer. I don't care.、Mm-hmm. But you know, like there are, you have to kind of like ask for it, and you have to like. I'm not just going to like you know non-consensually say you know、yeah. any trauma dump on you. You know, <laughs> like I'm not just gonna, like say that. You know, and it's, so it's one of those things where. There's a for me. There's a healthy amount of guarding in the work,、mm. um, and <clears throat> like it's maybe my own sort of like defense strategy.、Um, like there, there was one work that I had made.、Um, the there's a piece called "Can Dishwashing Be Queer?" Yeah, it was a video piece actually, which was inspired by Martha Rossler's、um, "Semiotics of the Kitchen."、Um, this idea of the kitchen space being like one of like wonder and. And, and day, a, day, a space where you can daydream, right? I think I had read like Gaston Bachelard's、mm, The Poetics、mm-hmm. of Space, and I didn't read all of it because it was one of those like dense French books that I was like, "What are you、oh, saying?" Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Like, but yeah, it was like there was like one little sentence that like stuck with me, and it was like the corner is like the space we go to daydream,、mm-hmm. and the kitchen that we had in that apartment was was that、um, was like it, it was in this little corner of our apartment.、Uh, it was a tiny little space, and so I, I set up a. A tripod and a camera, and decided to do this sort of、um, video performance of me washing these dishes that I'd been avoiding for for so long. And in the work, you know, once I started processing the footage, like there were no edits that I made, and the only edits I made to the to the footage were adding subtitles.、Mm. Um, I as I was rewatching back the footage, I went back to that morning and tried to think about every single thing that I was I could have potentially been thinking about,、uh, uh-huh. um, even if I was like thinking about it in the moment. And I tried to put it in there. And you know, there's 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 real kind of like intimate moments. I think maybe that's the piece that I probably felt the most like bravery. About、mm-hmm. because that was really me being the most like vulnerable. Like I was actually、um, indicating like、um, just like topics of like sexuality between my partner and、mm-hmm. I, and then like also like my worries about like my impending MFA thesis show that this、uh-huh. video is going to be a part of, and like just putting every like random thought there.、Um, and I remember like I, my mom came to see the she she. Drove up from Dallas to come see the show, and we were sitting there, and I was just like so deeply uncomfortable because I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't know, but like it was one of those things where again, it just it was captivating for people, and you know, that's I think like only when my I'm directly in front of the work itself do I feel maybe the most brave, and I think in my prints,、mm-hmm. my drawings, it's a way for me to like sort of like remove myself yeah, a little bit. I could see that.、Yeah. I could、yeah. see that. Yeah. No, I that sounds. Incredibly vulnerable to let an audience into your inner monologue. Like I'm just sitting here horrified at the idea of someone knowing what I thought about while doing the dishes <laughs> at, at the at the opening. I know. Oh God! At the opening, it was like 
it was like the the space was in i had these like two different spaces and the video would be playing in another space um like adjacent to the prints and other work and i was i was thinking to myself i'm like no one's gonna sit through a 25 minute video of me doing this like this was purely (laughs) for me and then at the opening like everyone crowded into that room and that's the room that everyone was like everyone was looking at it and I was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) but I mean it was it's it's really fascinating because I think like that's where you know like and this is I think where like my my own sort of like generational like what I've inherited um in terms of like keeping myself guarded um right like letting that letting that guard down a little bit and letting in that some of that vulnerability it was the first time that I was like you know, okay, maybe I don't need to be as like extremely guarded. Maybe like, mm. maybe I do really can, I, I can let myself be more vulnerable and more open. Right. I think, I mean, I think there's those, there's those traits that we inherit from our, our parents. My dad was like that as, you know, a very typical Mexican man, mm. you know, where he was very guarded as when I was growing up and I didn't know much about him, you know, until mm-hmm. much later in life, you know, but yeah. yeah, that, that piece was really um, beneficial. I mean, it showed me a lot with that. Yeah, no, that's, that's really fascinating. Um, and it really interesting too, that, that everyone was, was drawn to it because of course, vulnerability is like catnip for humans. You know, it's, it's, I just, I really think that we, we love it. You know I mean? It's, it's how we build bonds between people. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I, yeah. that's how I do. I, <laughs> say, yeah. I, I lived in Australia for two years. It's not really part of the Australian culture. It feels <laughs> like I would always like try to like go get like drinks or food with like women. And I'd be like, yeah, we're going to really connect. We're going to like open up. And then they would just be like, they'd be like, oh, uh, what are you talking about? You know, like, so, <laughs> I'd be like, okay, who are you seeing these days, Jenny? You know, um, as instead. So maybe it's not universal, but like at least as, as American, Americans and um, and I think too, you know, I think there's yeah, like as as, as the, the, it's how I know how to do it anyway. So it's like catnip well, to me, yeah. Well, yeah, and you, I mean, when you look at like the history, like when you start digging into those like archives of like queer artifacts where mm-hmm. they are just so blunt and open and honest. I mean, there there are things in there that you're just like, if sometimes if you're not even ready to see them, you're like, oh my god, what? But then like, yeah. you know, it, it may seem like you know, quote unquote, shocking to see some of that. Um, like I remember, I I signed a reading in this class where. Um, in the, the archive, queer archive class, that, that it was John Giorno. It was talking about John Giorno's, um, who is like a, a text-based art poet and also made like posters of his, his poems. And they're very explicit. Mm. Um, and he has like a, he has a record of uh, his like sexual exploits, his adventures that he had. And they're very graphic. And I remember mm-hmm. assigning that as a reading and didn't give anybody like a heads up about it, which maybe I should have. But like... <laughs> Um, you know, we talked about it and we talked about like how important it is actually that this record exists. And that was part of the context of the reading as well. Like, it's so important to have this, this blunt, honest, explicit information, because how else would we have known? Right. And that's the thing that I think a lot about, like when I was like this flailing young, like freshly out person like Mm -hmm. what what do I do I don't know and like here but like here is like actually somebody who's like no I'm going to be completely honest about how I'm feeling and I'm going to be completely honest about my the physical experience that's happening Mm -hmm. all around me and in my life and that's so beneficial right to have um so it's yeah it's something I mean it's something I feel like I'm still learning but it's in the classroom like you know just because like I'm the one teaching doesn't mean I'm the like expert yeah. Right. Like I'm still going to be learning too. And you know, it's like what we said earlier, like we're, <laughs> as we're in our thirties now, it's like, we're still figuring it out. Yeah. Like I don't have my, I don't have everything together. Totally. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. It's, I wanted to, we're running out of time, which I can't believe. I feel like we just started talking and it's know, already like coming up on an hour mark. But one question that I'm, I'm, I was curious about sort of seeing your work is that so your partner is kind of like this silent collaborator or invisible collaborator Mm -hmm. in a lot of what you do that Mm -hmm. the suggestion of them is there um, or or part of them is in the composition. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, is that something that you two talk about, about like the level that you're going to reveal um, or 
or do you, you know, how do you kind of navigate that, I guess, you know, having work that's around an intimate relationship, but still keeping something to yourself and still, of course, needing to make sure that the other person is comfortable with what you're doing. Um, you know, I think of like, of, of David Sedaris has some wonderful right. anecdotes about his family being like, yeah. I'm never telling you anything ever again, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. um, and <laughs> and uh, he's just like reaching for his notebook compulsively, <laughs> you know? So like, th- th- that it can be kind of fraught to, to make mm-hmm. creative work about intimate relationships and just maybe how do you navigate it? Yeah, I mean, for one, it helps that, you know, my partner, they're they're so much more open than I am. Oh, really? Um, yeah, like there's, it's it's so I I feel like I'm learning from from them so much, and it's one of those things where you know it's I mean obviously like if I'm directly representing them, like I have their kind of consent and a lot of the work. Like there's a video performance piece that I did um, titled Fluff, which um, I, I kind of conceived as this idea of like systematically of creating this almost like DIY video, right. Of like how to be comfortable, which was like mm. the question I was asking mm-hmm. myself, you know, that year. And, um, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to systematically go through and like do the performance ritual of fluffing every single pillow so that I can like compulsively make myself like comfortable in my own home. And then I was also thinking about the idea of how I also receive, like can receive comfort from my mm. partner as well. And so I decided to create this like kind of split channel, like piece where it would flip back and forth between me performing these actions of like fluffing every pillow in my home systematically, almost even like slightly aggressively. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then like footage of, uh, my partner actually behind me giving me like a massage and trying to like do the same for myself as well. And it was one of those things where like, I, I kind of like came up with the idea and, you know, and, and they were like, Oh yeah, I don't care. I'll be in it. And it was, it's really, it's really kind of wonderful. But I mean, it's one of those things too, like that's a tenant of like queer relationships of like being so open about, mm-hmm. you know, everything and communicating every single thing. And it's, it's really, it's, it's something we came to kind of like a little bit like half at the halfway point, like we've been together 10 years. And I think like five years into it, like was when we were like, oh, like we're not communicating oh, all the way uh-huh. almost. And like, you know, oh, okay, let's, let's, let's try this again. Let's try communicating. And like being even more open and um and yeah so that was something that we mm. we, we kind of did and um yeah it was super it's been really wonderful I mean there like there's a lot where you know I because I I'm maybe like a little controlling in my work so like I will you know like in, like choose to include or exclude some things but yeah there's there's definitely many times where like I'm definitely including sometimes they're helping me in my prints like my yeah. partner is like my clean hands while oh. like, I'm, the, you know, inky hands because my we actually met in the printmaking department. Okay. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So they, they're a creative person as well. So they yeah, understand. Yeah. 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 It's it's funny. It reminds me. I think that it was like a I don't know if it was a meme or a tweet or something I saw on the internet that rang really true for me. That it's like like straight people will be in relationships for years and never know how unhappy the other one is. And in queer yeah, yeah. relationships, it's like, it's like, sweetie, we need to carve out maybe at least 20 minutes tonight, like after um, we'd go to the book club, because I feel like your vibes were like slightly off <laughs> in the Whole Foods parking lot, you know? <laughs> and I was like, correct. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. but it's just, and it's just, it, it's, it is funny that I've, I've experienced it and I've, I see it in, in friends and family that like there's there's a a really heightened um I don't know there's just like that that really heightened level of connection it's like maybe the standards are higher or something because like in straight she's like men are from Mars women are from Venus how could you ever understand each other I don't know it's like an absurd binary it, to like ascribe and, to like and just, oh my god oh, <laughs> for fuck's sake yes like yeah it's just insane but it's like it's like if you grow up with that mentality then you just like yeah. have this really low uh uh expectation for communication in your relationship or something or or that like queer relationships tend to like be like so much like more like friendships in a lot of ways too you know like like I see more Mm -hmm. friendship and just kind of this sounds like I'm really like I'm sorry I'm really shitting on straights I apologize but it's like (laughs) 
like, but I just mean like, like I, I, I see this, um, this like foundation of just like joy in each other's company. Sometimes in a level where I, I'll see, um, broad generalizations, broad generalizations. I, I know, I know, but like where I'll see like, like, like really normal looking straight couple in a restaurant, and I'll be like, do you guys even like each other? Like, why are you together right now? So, anyway. Like long kind of tangent about that, but yeah, I I I understand and and reflect in my own experience what you're saying about that like heightened level of of communication and intimacy. Yeah, and and you know, and that's the that's the even my again going back to like my my interest in this DIY method of things, right? Of like going back to that question of how to be. You know, this isn't like a prescribed like thing that only queer people like anyone can do this. Like anyone, yeah, it's yeah. possible for anybody to to embody these like behaviors to think about this way of being it's you're not closed off like you're not this like i am fool forever be this way like everyone has the potential to grow and develop and become something different and you know or enhance the way that they are you know and i think like that's i think that's the sort of wonderful thing that at least i've taken away from like a lot of queer and feminist theory of like you know you're not just you're you're not locked in to this way of being you, there is there is multitudes of things. I, mean, I guess like the Walt Whitman thing you know I contain multitudes mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, you know so yeah and yeah. that relationships can evolve like you were saying with your partner how mm-hmm. five years into it you realize that you weren't communicating the way you wanted to and you could change that and like yeah. I absolutely experienced that with with my marriage like I, I had this really whirlwind romance and it was just like well now we never gonna feel pain ever again you know like, right. oh, bliss. <laughs> bliss forever and I deserve yeah. bliss forever because I don't have to live like normal humans and then when we actually had pain <laughs> when we disappointed each other by not rescuing each other from you know never feeling pain ever again you have to face that and be like okay like how how do we want to change it and and I do think that that is open to everyone as long as both parties um, or all parties depending on the nature of the relationships are willing to do that you know and and I think that God forbid you fail yeah exactly so yeah it's just um, I think that that's yeah a a beautiful message to end on is that there's there's still hope for everyone there is you know I mean I I, I do love that and I I love that your work um, really dives into that kind of like that really intense intimacy because it is something that that you don't see in the public sphere very much and I think that's part of what makes it fascinating so thank you for the work that you do and um, I'm I'm excited to to stay in touch and uh, you know keep following your projects yeah thank you so much for having me this is so fun this is a ton of fun next time I'm in Santa Fe uh, I would love to like visit I, I know Jack Lemon and Steve Campbell at BlackRock they're really good friends of mine so oh I'm so glad I would love to come visit and see you all well that's our show for this week Join me again next week when my guest will be Woon Jin Ho, a Bristol-based printmaker who's currently getting her PhD at the Center for Fine Print Research. Woon Jin was the first guest ever on Hello Print Friend, and we're going to return to her and catch up on the last three tumultuous years. She's also a practicing veterinarian, and we talk about the ways in which interacting with animals intersects with the intuitive nature of art, her life in lockdown in the most densely populated part of Britain, and the prints she made about her life in isolation to send to her father who was in a care facility. She'll also talk about an opportunity to participate in the upcoming Impact Conference. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week. 